lovely notes of Giuseppe Verdi mean it's time for another edition of Serie A Sit-Down. This recording will be brought to you right on time and not uh, waiting for the uh, women's tennis match to finish up. Uh, it is Calcio presented at the highest level. Frank Cravello here, grateful that you have clicked on and gotten stuck in with us yet again. Uh, g- glad to be back in the saddle. Co-host Richard Carmen held it down brilliantly last week with Rafa Rispo. He's with us again this week. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. Uh, lovely monologue. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not even done. I mean, are you kidding me? You know, so I'm excited. Okay, but Milan's going to be the uh, feature game on the Multicalcio on BN Sports at 8 o'clock in the morning, my time, 9 o'clock your time, Richard. Uh, and uh, so I turn it on, and what do I see? I see women's tennis. And I see that they're not going to turn on the Milan game until 8.30. Uh, so I obviously unleashed my fury on Twitter. Um, and then I see a couple people snapping at, uh, Matteo Benetti about it. Matteo said, we will be on as soon as the tennis match is over with. And I said, the tennis match should never have been on BN sports to begin with. Okay. You guys want to talk about ratings. All right. You want to talk about ratings when it comes to playing Barcelona against the weak and the sad in La Liga or Real Madrid against the weak and the sad in La Liga over, Juve Napoli last Sunday, all right, and then earlier this fall, Barcelona against a bunch of auto mechanics. I I apologize if I offend any auto mechanics out there. Um, <laughs> over Napoli and Inter back when they were one <laughs> and two, all right. But then you're you're going to tell me that women's tennis gets more ratings than Serie A on a Sunday morning? That's what you're going to tell me? You're going to say you have the numbers. I'm going to tell you what your numbers are. 99.5% of that share, okay, is a, is is just about everybody who turned to your channel at 8 o'clock my time and looked at it and said, damn it, what is tennis doing on? And changed the channel. And in my case, I changed it back to whatever cartoons my kids wanted to watch. So, you know, that's where a lot of your hits came from. <laughs> so, and then, um, and then to top it off, do we get the game on TV at 8.30? No. The tennis match is well over, okay, but guess what? The trophy ceremony, and we got to hear the loser talk, and we got to hear the winner talk, and we got to hear the winner ride around in a Porsche because Porsche sponsored the event, and we got to go through all of this nonsense. Meanwhile, we miss out on Chalhanalu's goal. We miss out on a goal that's overturned by VAR. Well, I didn't really miss out. I had it on my computer. Oh, and that's another thing. We missed about the first 15 minutes of the Milan game, maybe 10 because it was supposed to be on BN Sports Connect Channel 5, and you had that lovely purple screen that said that there's nothing on. I was like, well, maybe there's a mistake. You go to BN 7, BN 8, nope. Nope, no mistake. You go back to the guide, it's supposed to be on BN 5, it's not there. So finally, in about the 12th minute or something like that, we finally get the game. So, um, BN Sports, get your shit together, okay? You don't need to show the trophy ceremony. You can, you can inform the listeners, you can inform the viewers that it's available on bnsportsconnect.com. Everybody watching your channel has a computer and has BN Sports Connect. Okay? They can go to see it. If they're really that hard up to hear uh, the second place person giving her speech about how she's disappointed for not winning and that she'll get them next year, and the first place winner, I think she was Russian. Um, I, I don't even know. Uh, the first place winner going on and saying this, and then she gets to ride around in the Porsche holding up the trophy and all this other stuff. At least ESPN, Richard, okay? ESPN has the good dignity when the um, Poulin, Weed Eater, Blue Bonnet, uh, God help me, these are two six and six teams, what are they doing in a bowl anyway, college football bowl? <laughs> when the game's over with, they say, hey, for the trophy presentation, go to ESPN 
right. go to ESPN.com or watch ESPN. They have the good dignity to know that nobody cares about it after the game is over. The people that were really watching it were watching it because they made an investment on it or they're, you know, they attend that school or have some sort of attachment to said six and six school. Okay. BN Sports needs to take a page because this is the second time this happened. It happened with the motocross too a few weeks ago. You remember that, Richard? Oh, I can't forget that shit. Yeah. Okay. So they win and we got to watch the guy drink milk. And, 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 and put the little laurel around them or whatever it is that they do at the end of the motorcycle game. You put, the, put the football match on. You know, you want to anger your fan base, you're doing a very good job of it. Okay? And, 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 and don't sit here and tell me that the, that the women's tennis and the motocross gets better ratings than Serie A. I don't want to hear it. Okay? I don't want to hear it. How did you feel about that this morning? Yeah, um, that was some bullshit. Bull is what it was. Uh, I turned it on. I'm like, oh, what? Go ahead and say no, no. Go ahead and say bullshit. Okay, that was Come bullshit. On. It was bullshit. Yeah. I turned it on, and I'm like, what there's the hell? No fil- there's no filter anymore in the city. I said that's down. right. We, that's we, right. I forgot about that. You <laughs> bring it. You gotta sometimes get mean. You get too nice sometimes. You know. You gotta <laughs> once in a while. So yeah, oh. I, I I put on tennis. Oh, I put on tennis. I put on the uh, on the game, and obviously tennis is on. I'm like, what the hell is this shit? Uh, so I, luckily, I had BN BN Sports Connect, so I quick, quickly clicked, clicked over to BN whatever it was, and I got the game from the beginning. But uh, yeah, that was, that's messed up. And I was like, okay, where's uh, Multicalcio? I want to see Multicalcio. It's like really good games on right now. No, you don't get that because because uh, whatever's going on, I don't know. So um, I got to, I mean, I got to hear some good commentary from another another commentator, but uh, it was. Uh, it was disappointing that I didn't get to hear my multicultural and get to get the live action, uh, live uh, updates from all the games going on. Hey, don't don't make fun. Of, don't talk about Richard Whittle like that. I like Richard. He's oh, like, I do too. I do too. <laughs> I just didn't get my multicultural. That's all. Yeah, I know. I like my multicultural. My son likes the multicultural. He likes seeing the graphic and he likes saying we 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 try to play a guessing game as to you know who's the team who's the team that scored. So. Um, you know, and I think I got a couple right and he got a couple right, but some of them we got wrong. But it is what it is. It's something that can. You know, something that can pass the time. You don't look at your phone. You don't look at the, you know, the live feed or anything like that. Yeah. So it was, um, you know, you know, it's, it, it's, it's disappointing, you know, and, um, you know, and they can sit there and talk all they want about how they play more Serie A than they play La Liga or all this other stuff. But when they just come to the important matches, they've taken a backseat to watching, you know, Messi, you know, and Ronaldo do what they do against bad Spanish teams like they've done through the years because it gets ratings. And if you're going to have that principle and if that's your standard for rating and it's all about the ratings, then clearly Serie A should have been on at eight o'clock. Okay. Nine o'clock your time. And okay. So, and you tell everybody the women's tennis is on being sports connect and you're going to play some 90 and thirties from the gate from the day before, you know, until it's time for multi-calcio. If you don't want to play the uh, Crotone Sassuolo game, which ended up being an outstanding game, but you know, I, I want to celebrate 41 goals in 10 games. You know, uh, that's what I'd like to celebrate. 41 goals this weekend, Richard. Good weekend. It was definitely a yeah. good weekend. Yeah, but we had so much crap happen between the BN Sports and then some of the things that happened in these games um, that, you know, y- you come away, you're happy with all of the goals that scored, and there were some fantastic goals being scored. But then, on, you know, the way that some of these things are going to be shaped, and especially the title race, Richard, some really, really weird crap happened. Uh, Over the last two weeks, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's culminated today. Yep. Or this and weekend, we're gonna, I say. Yep. And we're going to start that by talking about the uh, Derby dell'Italia uh, uh, that took place on Saturday between Inter and Juventus. 
It was. Uh, did you see the uh, Pinocchio uh, Tifo from Inter? No, no, I missed that one. Go and there's there's the, go and look at it. I think that uh, I think there was I think there was one of the one of the, uh, the, the the animals, and I'm just trying to remember it. It escapes me off the top without looking at it, but it's saying. I've never had to be in Serie B or something like that. And then there's like the, the nose that's going all the way out to the Champions League trophy. Uh, Looking at it right seven... now. Yeah, okay, I see it. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then holding up to 35. And uh, that's funny. A bunch of miserable bastards in Teresti. But, man, that was a, that was a quality TIFO. That's a really, it is a really nice one, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So, so Nima Tavali's listening to this or, or not. He's... He's probably going to have a word with me. Um, but anyway, uh, so to the action that took place on the pitch, uh, Juventus would open the scoring, and uh, it was a quality finish. Cercato un colpo di testa che non arriva. Douglas Costa! Douglas Costa! Porta avanti la Juventus! Douglas Costa on 13 minutes. Uh, you know, first of all, the uh, team selection, and we'll talk about this Costa goal in a minute, Richard, but... Uh, did it surprise you that uh, Paulo Dybala was not in the uh, starting eleven? I'm going to say this hot take: I wasn't surprised. No, I wasn't surprised too because they've had a little bit of a falling out here lately. Uh, there've been some words, I guess, in practice or something. I might have to watch Netflix to see what's going on lately. But <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, and Douglas Costa has been playing really well as of late too. So uh, really good form. Another reason for him to drop Dybala um, from the starting lineup is with the, the form that Douglas Costa is in right now. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh, nice little volley, took it very well, and uh, we would get, in addition, we would get some uh, men behaving, bad, behaving badly just shortly thereafter. Matias Vecino uh, stamps on uh, Mario Mandzukic and is shown a straight red for his actions. Um, this would send Inter down to 10 men. Now, this one, Richard, I didn't have a problem with. No, uh, at first, when I first, you know, I heard, I heard, I wasn't watching this when it happened. I turned my head and when I heard his red, I was like, okay, okay, this is probably some BS. And I looked at it, I'm like, no, that's a good call. He clearly stamped on him. It looked like it was very intentional. Uh, and it was a deserved red card. Yep. And that was the, uh, that was about the gist of the action. Uh, Juve would, uh, go ahead 2 0 or so they thought through Blaise Matuidi, but VAR, Overturn that goal for offside, a correct decision there. Um, the old lady were up a goal to nil at halftime, but uh, just seven minutes into the second half, uh, that lead would evaporate. Vacancero con il destro in area, Icardi! Mauro Icardi, pareggia i conti, Inter 1, Juventus 1. It could be said Mauro Icardi got more air on that goal yesterday than Koulibaly did last week on his goal. It's pretty close, isn't it? Oh, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful header by him. And this guy can score with his feet, with his head, I mean, any which way possible. Uh, it's why he's one of the best strikers in the world. So 10-man Inter pull one back. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's interesting all of a sudden. And just 13 minutes later, Ivan Perisic gets the ball down to the, down to the end line, getting ready to pull the ball across. And it is tapped in nicely uh, by Andrea Barzali. Problem. Andrea Barzali plays for Juve. He put it into his own net. Uh, Inter fans, euphoria there at the San Siro. Inter up 2-1. Juve, here we go again. At that point, Richard, and it had been a recurring theme, and I'm going to credit you know, you know, listening to um, uh, Charlie Stilettano on the football show uh, earlier in the week, uh, you know, a, a, a place where they've had you on as a guest in the past. Oh, yeah, my, my uh, good buddy. 
Yeah, you're a good buddy. Yeah, you guys are so tight. You got those free uh, International Champions Cup tickets yet? Yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> I wish. So, um, but uh, he made a very interesting comment that I, as I reflected on the last few games for Juventus, I tended to agree with him. This Juventus team is tired, um, you know, and maybe sapped from, you know, the hangover of losing the Champions League final a season ago and really having to try to rally to, you know, to get to get back to the top of the table here, going out the way they did to Real Madrid in the last eight. There's a lot here, you know, emotionally and in, in some cases physically taken out of them. And it was very, very easy and very convenient from for me to agree with that theory at the time that Juve had taken that 2-1 lead. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very easy to say that, you know, Juventus were tired. Uh, they looked they looked at uh, they, uh, they were. It's very rare you get them seeing uh, teams take it to them. It happened to them. Uh, several times in the last couple of weeks. I mean, Napoli last week. I'm going to see what they did to them. And, um, you know, you get beat on corner kick by a team of all midgets and Koulibaly. Uh, so you get one guy to mark. Yeah, you know, Chiellini has something to do with that. But these guys have been playing, even though they're rotating heavily, um, they're, they, they've played so many games between Champions League, uh, Coppa d'Italia, and also in Serie A. And then really the last two years, because they went deep in the playoffs last year, they got the, they had, uh, the finals of uh, Coppa d'Italia last year as well. So, uh, it's a lot of miles that these players are logging, and yeah, even though it's a, a deep team with a heavy rotation, it it wears on you, man. And it's uh, yep. you can, there's always so much you can take, and uh, these guys are exhausted, if not physically, definitely mentally, for sure. Definitely. And uh, another incident. Uh, well, first of all, uh, Allegri did bring on DiBala in the uh, 61st minute, um, so that happened prior to the uh, own goal led by Barzali. Um, another incident, uh, that took place here in the second half, um, uh, Miralem Pjanic goes all Brutus beefcake, uh, with a high knee on Rafinha, uh, right in front of the referee, Daniele Osato. Um, and, uh, I believe just the foul was given and it was interesting. Uh, Pjanic was already on a yellow, uh, when this occurred, he, uh, took one in the 21st minute. Uh, the action that he had here, um, this is where the controversy is going to set in. This is where my reset of my Juventus privilege blog is going to set in. Um, that should have been a second yellow. Pianic should have been sent off, and it should have been 10v10. Absolutely, and we don't have to look too far uh, from Juventus when we saw something that was very similar to this that happened in the past, but it was uh, Juventus against Torino, and I don't remember who the two players involved um, but it was a Torino player taking out uh, Pjanic in the very exact same way that he, Pjanic took out uh, another player, and that player got a red card, I believe. So, uh, yeah, why didn't he get a yellow in that? I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe the ref knew that he was on a yellow and didn't want to give him a second yellow, but no, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In a game that, that those kind of stakes, if it's a penalty that's worth a yellow or a red, you give it to them. Don't say, oh, yeah. I'm give you a break. No, that because that could turn the momentum of a game. Yeah. You enter already down with 10 men, so... Why not? It's not going to make any. They're going to have any advantage anymore. It'll be even back even again. So I mean, that's that's ridiculous call or non call, I should say. Yeah, I was, uh, I was pretty amazed that uh, Orsato did not bring out that yellow. Pjanic said something to the effect after the game that he well, of course, Pjanic would say that Orsato had a great game, um, but he also, I think, he said that uh, that maybe he did not get the second yellow because Orsato may have thought that he was harsh with the first one. Um, so, <laughs> but in the, in the Turin Derby, what's his name? Got a straight red for a very similar action. Exactly. Uh, so it's just, it's the inconsistency. Um, 
it's the inconsistency and it's the hypocrisy that is angering uh, Serie A fans uh, around the world about Juventus getting the calls. And then they go and they whine when it goes against them in the Champions League the way they did. Um, and now they come back in a situation like this and they say, oh, Orsato was fantastic. We got a story on that one later, too. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we're all over this game. You won't believe it. So Pjanic did get to stay on the pitch. Uh, and then uh, Inter make a, a, a curious substitution. Uh, they bring on Davide Santon uh, and they bring off Moro Icardi in the 85th minute. And that's when all hell broke loose. Uh, 87th minute. Paulo Dybala plays uh, Juan Cuadrado in. Cuadrado is uh, on the end line, just fires a ball that uh, is turned in by Milan Skriniar uh, for an own goal. That equalized things at 2-2. Um, and just two minutes later on a free kick, Paulo Dybala did Paulo Dybala and Gonzalo Higuain hooked up for this. Dybala batte, calcio di punizione, cerca un colpo di testa, Higuain! The standard coming up with easily his most important goal of the season, Richard. There haven't been as many from him this year. It's it's been a down year for, for Gonzalo Higuain, but he shows that big time goal scorers step up in big situations, and he took full advantage, uh, as did Paulo Dybala. This was an uh, amazingly crucial goal by Iguain, considering what the last few weeks have been for Juventus, and with last week losing to your, you know, the team that's trying to catch you, it's going to have to race. Now the race is down within one point. Uh, you had to get three points in this game. At one point, uh, would gave Napoli a chance to to climb back into this race, if not to over, you know, to leapfrog them. Uh, so to have this goal in the in the last nine minutes of the game, uh, it's huge, huge play by, by by a clinical striker that who's done this before. Um, you know, this is the reason he gets paid the big bucks. Uh, he comes up in a big opportune times and gets crucial goals for his team. And that, that, that goal very, very well could have sealed up the Scudetto right there. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, really, uh, uh, Luciano Spalletti showing his, uh, his, his big game, his, his ability to have a big game blunder again, a very strange substitution. Because now you've taken off the one guy that probably provides the biggest threat for Inter going forward, um, and you brought on an extra defender. I just I thought I thought it was too big of a risk at a t- at, at that time, um, because if something did go haywire, or for some reason you needed another goal, you know, you're talking about a team that this season, uh, Inter, when we're talking about Inter, they have uh, 58 goals in Serie A, and Mauro Icardi has 27 of them. Okay, so you take him out of the picture, and we've seen Inter without Icardi in many, many games this season. They're nothing, okay? Um, They really rely on him. And uh, once they made that substitute happen, uh, and you brought on Davide Santon, who has been struggling all season long, uh, I just, I thought this was one where Spalletti just outthought himself there. Yeah, I mean, you have plenty of options. I'm always ever thinking that, you know, if you're going to take someone off, that's fine, but leave your best player, your most dangerous person in that game, in the game. And that it is, yeah. without a doubt, Mauro Icardi. Um, I mean, you can make a case. I mean, Perisic would have been a better re- uh, replacement, though he is yep. also very dangerous. But, um, you know, Kandreva maybe or, or someone else. Uh, there's, there's, little other, there's other ways you can look at this. Um, he, almost, he, he takes off Kandreva just about every game. It's strange to me that Kandreva got 90 here. Yeah, exactly. I would have thought, you want to make that substitution, take off Kandreva. You still got Can you still had you still had Cancelo out there. Yeah. So you were set for the guy on the ball for set pieces whenever you had them. 
Um, it was just a very much an overthink. We're going to get to another game where, where, where a coach made a pretty poor decision with a substitution as well uh, on 10 men, um, you know, when, when we talk about Napoli. But, wow, that was just uh, – that was baffling. And then uh, you, to see Icardi just look helpless on the substitutes bench at the end of the game um, was, just, uh, was just telling. But, yeah, I mean, not to interrupt you if you wanted to finish your point. I'm sorry. No, no, I pretty much, I pretty much made the point there. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, oh man, so it ends three two, a massive three points for Juventus when it looked like it, they were going to come away empty-handed. Uh, in some senses, a lot of debate that, um, a lot of debate going on on uh, the, you know, the, the the banter folks of Serie A on Twitter. Uh, depending on what fan base, uh, they're all out of the woodwork saying that this was this was uh, gifted to Juventus. Um, you know, between uh, not sending off Pjanic, um, you know, and some of the other uh, some of the other activity that took place, um, it was uh, very much a, uh, a a win for Juventus, but one that uh, everyone's looking at and pointing at. Look at all of, look look at everything that's happening again. Um, you know, and now all of a sudden, you know, we are seeing that uh, the FIGC and prosecutor Giuseppe Pecoraro. Uh, special prosecutor for the FIGC. There's a uh, there is a uh, uh, there's a recording of a conversation between Juventus manager Max Allegri and fourth official Paolo Taliavento um, in the mixed zone, Richard, um, at the San Siro, um, or what they call the mixed zone, uh, where Allegri is believed to have uh, he calls him Talia. Um, and in basically had said, uh, you know, translating that, uh, uh, Orzato was really well, make sure you promote him, you know, but just paraphrasing it or something like that. Um, and, and specifically the word promoso, which, uh, you know, I'm taking this from footballitalia.net. Uh, say the word, that word in Italian is most often used when someone has just passed an exam and can go on to the next level. So, um, well, uh, Signoro Pecoraro, the prosecutor for the FIGC, uh, he wants that tape. So, but do we really think the FIGC are going to do anything about this? No. 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 And honestly, I don't know how much we can read into this. Um, even if Allegri did say something like this, you know, a lot of these guys have known each other for a long time. So, but still. Uh, the fact everything now is on social media and and recordings on recording devices like telephones and stuff. Um, people are going to read into these things a lot more than they would in the past. Uh, and and I mean, there's for good reason too, especially what happened in 2006 um, with all the teams, especially Juventus. But yeah, I don't see the FIGC doing really anything about this. Uh, I don't even know why they're going to mention it because if they know they're not going to do anything, it's just like teasing us and like, oh, what are they going to do? They're going to do something? No, they're not going to do anything. No, they're not going to so do anything. They're just blowing smoke up our asses. What they're doing? Yeah, it's exactly what they're doing. Um, Dybala showed some influence there uh, once he came on. Um, I mean, do you have a man of the match for this game? Because there were a lot of there were a lot of it was a it was a very good match, all told. I mean, despite some of the referee decisions, despite some of the manager decisions and stuff like that, um, there are some pretty good individual performances out there, Richard. Who would yeah. you? I mean, in, in this one, who would you pinpoint? I have a hard time coming away deciding who man of the match should be in this game. I almost want to say Mauro Icardi because look at what Inter looked like when he was off, um, and then 
you know, and, and how important his, his equalizer was. But uh, maybe it is Dybala for, for his role as a substitute in this game. Yeah, no, it's a good call. It's a good shot. It's it's hard to pick a person. I mean, for bo- both teams had uh, worthy worthy players. Uh, I'm going to go with a guy um, who's had his name in the headlines as of late, and that's Gigi Buffon. I think he made some big saves down down at the yep. uh, at the at the end of the game. Uh, some some screamers that he just knocked over the bar, made some got his hand on it. So I mean, it, you can go any way really. I mean, you can go Iwain with the goal, you can go Dybala with his influence, uh, Icardi, Perisic with his performance, uh, Handanovic made some saves as well. Uh, so you can go really any way other than Barzali. You can't really say Barzali. He scored a goal, but for the wrong team. Uh, yeah. But, but mm-hmm. I'm gonna go Buffon. Okay, and uh, you can probably do an honorable mention to Quadrado too. I mean, I think his yeah. work ethic and the things that he did up and down the pitch is really uh, a sight to behold, especially for Juve uh, supporters. So. Juve got through match week 35 with three points. Uh, the other challenger for this, Scudetto, uh, Napoli. Let's uh, talk about their fortunes. Yeah, so Napoli, they knew their rivals for the Scudetto won Saturday night, and they had to win, right? Uh, to make matters worse and more difficult, Napoli would have to win at their bogey team, which is Fiorentina. Uh, I just saw what they did early in the season. They came, they came away with, um, I don't know if it was a 1-1 draw. They won. I think it was a 1-1 draw at, at, uh, at Sao Paulo, so... Yeah. Um, it's a very difficult team for Napoli that they had to face here. Um, so things started out um, with a bang in this one. In the eighth minute, an innocent long ball over the head of Giovanni Simeone that Koulibaly looked like he was going get, to get to easily. Um, he misjudges the bounce, and right when Koulibaly goes to kick it, Simeone pokes it away, and Koulibaly swings through it either you know, regardless, right through into Simeone, taking him down in the box. Uh, Koulibaly was shown a yellow, and a penalty was awarded. You you so far are you with me, Frank? I'm I'm with you. Yes, that and okay. that I saw. Yep. But hold up, VAR gets involved. and They had something to say, and it was deemed that Koulibaly deserved a straight red. Not only that, but it was a foul just outside the box. Um, so if you look in the replay, I think that that part was definitely correct play. Uh, when you look, watch in slow motion, Koulibaly gets them just before they get into the box. So yeah, I agree with that. It should have been a free kick. Now the red card, I I assume they're saying that. Koulibaly was the last defender, and that's why he got the red. Is that what you took away from it? I think that that's what they're trying to sell us, and it's up to us if we want to buy it, and I, for one, don't buy it. Um, that's, the only, that's the only story I'm going to buy because I don't think it was intentional. Um, it, was, it was obviously Simeone got the ball just before him. He didn't know anything of it and just swung through like he was going to kick the ball out. So um, I, could, I, I, was, I would have given him a yell, but if they're going to say he was the last defender, that's the only way I'll buy it. Yep. Uh, the referee on this one, Paolo Mazzolini, um, and my guess is that his conversation with VAR was something like, well, you know, we, we can really screw Napoli here. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, this is one of those where he wasn't behind Simeone when it happened. He was kind of to, to the side, so it wasn't a takedown from behind. Right. And the infraction occurred in front of Simeone. You, know, you got a kick to the midsection. And the incident ha- and the way the incident happened, um, Koulibaly is trying to make a challenge for the ball, and he missed. He's not showing intent. He's not showing malicious intent, uh, you know, to break this guy's ribs by side volleying into him. Okay, um, this was a, a challenge that Koulibaly went for and missed. And you want to say free kick and a yellow card? I'm good with that. I would have right. been perfectly fine with that. Red card was absolutely harsh in this incident. Um, and uh, it impacted the rest of the game because now you're asking an away team to play 82 minutes on 10 men. 
Absolutely, and uh, it was an extremely harsh call. And then Jorginho would actually be the casualty in this because he was immediately subbed off for Lorenzo Tonelli. Hated that. I don't like it either. You have three other defenders on the pitch already. Um, you know you know, this is your bogey team. You're a very possession-worthy team, so you're not going to have to face too many shots. Um, keep 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 who you have there out there. I mean, Jorginho, he, he can do the job and help out defensively. You know, So can Alan and the uh, rest of the guys. They know that they're down to 10 men. They can all pitch in defensively. You don't need to take off uh, one of your better playmakers to bring in Tonelli, who's had very minimal action this season. Yeah, I mean, that or... You know, and I, I, I can't remember who said it, but the the idea was that if you did want to bring somebody off and you really wanted to bring that extra defender at that time, that, you know, and, and, and this might rile some people up because he's the he's he's the captain, he's Napoli, but Marek Hamšík would have been the one I would have pulled. Um, you know, and for those reasons, Jorginho, you know, he's more of a ball winner than Hamšík is. They're both good playmakers, you know, but that that, that ball winning is so vital. Uh, that Jorginho can give you that Hamchick doesn't quite have. Um, and uh, I think that that was one where Saudi just went a little too – I don't think he overthought it. I just think he went a little too quick with his decision there. And, um, you know, he maybe expected Alan to fill that, you know, Regista role that, 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 that they've grown to, uh, you know, get at a high level from Jorginho. Um, but uh, it was um, – it, uh, it – I. Jorginho is the, probably the last guy you want to take out if you're trying to bring in an extra defender in that situation. Yeah, and then you know by by assuming that Alan's going to take Jorginho's space in that Regista role, it takes away from Alan's you know box to box roles that he he excels so well. And um, if you ask any Napoli fan, the guy who's in the least form out of everyone is Marek Hamšík, so that would probably be the one everyone would pick. But um, yeah, it's just and, a, a terrible call. And you're seeding possession when you're down to ten men. So when you win the ball, you don't need Marek Hamšík advancing and linking up with the forwards exactly okay you need the you who's going to get the in those situations when you're seeding possession who's going to end up with the ball more often it's not going to be Hamchick, it's going to be Jorginho and you need his ability his his ability to play make from the deep position okay to even route one for uh for Mertens or Insigne uh or to be able to pick out Callihan and you know and, and and get some sort of counter going for Napoli you know you take that away when you take Jorginho out of the game I just I, I thought it was a bad decision I thought it was a rush uh, you know, it was done out of. I think it was done out of haste by Saudi. No, I I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and so after several minutes of you know going to VAR and doing this and that, uh, it was actually Christian Baraghi who would uh, step up to take the free kick, but Pepperoni would swallow it up. Napoli would have to play you know eighty more minutes with ten men all lost, trying to keep pace in the Scudetto race. Um, so. There would be a deadlock for eh, about a half hour or so before a long pass on Bediagi in the 34th minute finds Simeone. Uh, he outpaces uh, Tonelli, of course. Uh, of course, he'd outpace him. And um, he beats Reina through the five hole, through the wickets. Cholito gives the host an early lead, one nothing. From there on, it was, it was hard. I mean, you're already down to 10 men in Napoli. They're trying to bounce back. Andres um, Mertens, he did have a good chance in the second half. Uh, but not, he, I mean, he and no one else on the team could really get past Marcos Portiello in this one. Um, La Viola, they would make them pay in the 62nd minute when off a Ricardo Saponara corner kick. Cholito Simeone got his brace and doubled the lead for Fiorentina 2-0. Uh, at this point, Napoli looking like in a world of hurt. Um, it's already hard enough to come back from 2-0, Frank, uh, but now you're down to 10 men. This is, uh, all but impossible, right? Yeah, and, um, 
you know, and on top of that, we talk about a thin squad that, you know, a thin squad or a, 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 you know, a squad that was not rotated enough throughout the season and, um, you know, down to 10 men now, uh, trying to chase the game, desperately trying to chase points to keep pace for a, for a Scudetto push. Um, and it just, it, 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 it looked more desperate as the game went on and it was just frustrating to watch because that wasn't Napoli to me all season. It was kind of a, it was kind of a shame. It's a complete opposite of what, what, what we experienced last week with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Cholito, he would, uh, he would put, he would, he put Napoli out of their misery really and end all Scudetto hopes. Uh, when he got his tripleta in stoppage time as Fiorentina won three nothing and all but gave the bitter rivals Juventus, which is kind of ironic. Uh, the Scudetto today, uh, Juventus and Fiorentina are, are big rivals, but they, they gave him the title today, basically. Yes. Um, it, and, and Fiorentina don't care too much for Napoli either. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> and they're all about winning games. Um, you know, a lot of credit is owed to uh, Pioli. Um, you know, and we can't say enough about him. And I know they had a, you know, they took a defeat here recently. Um, but, uh, the job that he's been able to do to rally this team, um, you know, in the aftermath of, uh, you know, losing your, uh, losing your captain, you know, they, um, they've got one loss, uh, since that happened, that marathon against, uh, Lazio, that four, three game back at the middle of April. Yeah. Um, you know, but they've other oh, well, I guess I'm sorry. They lost to Sassuolo as well, which was kind of the head scratcher. They played; they were down to ten men in that. But you know, to be in the situation that they're in, to still have a uh, to be to still be in with a shout uh, for top six uh, with three games to go. Everything considered, all of the depart from all of the departures at the beginning of the season to uh, tragically losing your captain. Um, you know, here most recently, uh, you know. I'm very, in, I, you know, I'm very interested in your take on this. I would not fight anybody if they wanted to make Stefano Pioli manager of the season. I know, I, I great minds read each other. Uh, I was just going to ask you, you know, if Fiorentina somehow get to Europa League or very close, how would you feel about him getting the manager of the year? Uh, so you're asking me now. I would be, I would not be against it either. Um, the 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 job he's done. The, I mean, what they had to overcome with the situation that they had in, at the team. First off, first off, you know they had a they got totally you know picked apart this this past summer with with players leaving and departing and whatnot. Um, so they had just a bunch of youngsters on the team, a bunch of new players that did, they had you know had to to gel together. So you had that. Plus, you know the season isn't going as well as you'd want. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, the, the big tragedy, obviously, with, with Davidea story passing away, um, and then now the team went on, goes on a hot streak, gets back into because they were they were they were mid table obscurity for a long time, and now uh, they're on the cusp, on the precipice of of, of getting the Europa League. Um, it's uh, it's it's a remarkable job at Pioli, and I don't know if he's if he's a, a manager that could be on a top top team like a an Inter or a Juventus, but. Uh, maybe a team like Fiorentina is the place where he should be. It's where he's the lime, he's just outside the limelight enough where he can focus in on his job. And, and what he's doing right now with the team is, uh, remarkable and, and getting to rally around each other, bonding together. Uh, they're with that city and, uh, the, 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 the work that they're doing as a team, um, coming together, especially this part of the season where it's most important. Uh, it's, it's a remarkable job by him. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to name three finalists for manager of the season, and I'll, I'll decide at the end of the season, he's in there with the two Roman managers. 
um, Simone Inzaghi and uh, Eusebio Di Francesco. And Di Francesco gets in there just because of what he's done in the Champions League, too, uh, yeah. with Roma. But, uh, you know, Inzaghi, for him to have some of the departures that he's had, losing Keita Balde, um, gosh, who else did they lose? Lucas Bilia. Lucas Bilia, Wesley Hoot. Um, there's another. There's another name they lost. No, no Marchetti this year, obviously. With, but Strakosha's, you know, he's come up. Exactly. He's been big. And to turn it around to be, you know, we'll talk about them a little bit later. They're they're sitting third. Um, you know, we thought they were in some trouble this season. Uh, that they would take a dip back. But Simone Inzaghi has, uh, you know, rallied that team. Uh, got them to a last eight in the uh, Europa League, uh, which a little disappointed with because uh, considering you know RB Salzburg and not trying to be too disrespectful to him. It's it's a it's a side that Lazio should have been able to beat and, and reach the semifinals, but I, I would I would probably have it down to those three. I would not have Juve. I would not have Allegri or Sadi because they were expected to be in the spots that they're in. Right. Um, you know, but I think that when you look at it, I think those three managers uh, are probably my my final three, and I'll be picking from one of them. That's fair. That's fair shot. Yep. It'll be interesting when we get down to that, when we get down at the end of the season uh, who we end up deciding. It'll be a uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of uh, similar similar names, but uh, yeah, the three that you mentioned are, are the obvious ones that uh, I think that most people can rally around. Okay, Napoli's run-in is Torino at home, Sampdoria away, Crotone at home. That's their title run-in. Uh, that's their Scudetto run-in. Uh, Juve's run-in is Roma away, Verona at home. Uh, excuse me, Bologna at home, Roma away, and Verona at home. And they have Milan in the Coppa Italia final. And they got the yep. They've got the matter of trying to win the Coppa Italia final against Milan. I I gotta say advantage Juve. Um, I they've got six easy points for sure there with Bologna and Verona, um, and then just a matter of where Roma is going to be at mentally after this semifinal against Liverpool and how they come out of that. Um, and I know that they'll have been about a week and a half, you know, removed from the game. But, um, you know, going to the Olimpico is going to be a bit of a, might be a bit of a challenge for Juve. Um, you know, but I, I see six points in the bag there uh, for Juventus, which six points is all they're going to need. So uh, I, it's, it's Juve's to lose. I think the run-in is situated that they're going to go ahead and do it. I just, you know, Napoli's run-in isn't bad. Um, Going to Sampdoria is going to be a challenge, much like Juve going to Roma is going to be a challenge. But I just, I, I think that Juve have six points in the bag right there with home games against Bologna and Verona here to finish out uh, that can help them seal it off. This is uh, these were three crucial points that, that Napoli lost today. That, that you know, if they had stayed in it, uh, you can make a case for them that they would have the advantage. Uh, but now that they lost those three points, I mean, it's advantage Juve. They got what four point lead and. Uh, like I said, six six points are for certain, almost right there. And then uh, depends what Roma shows up, and you know maybe they maybe you know it's a Coppa Italia final. Anything can happen, and you got to give the advantage to Juve in that situation. Uh, Crotone, they're playing very well, very well right now. And Torino, they're no slouches as well. And Sampdoria are, are a dangerous team uh, uh, at home for sure. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely advantage Juventus down down the stretch here for the uh, for the title. And it's a very much different opinion than what I had last week. But based on the results today, uh, I'm gonna have to swing the other way. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So this is Juve's to lose at this point. Um, you know, go to at Serie sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Do you agree with us? Do you think there's a miracle on the cards here with three weeks to go? Uh, that was the. Uh, 
title. Those were the uh, games with the uh, Scudetto implications. Let's get to the rest. Okay, and we got a lot of goals to talk about, so <laughs> let's uh, let's just get right to it, Richard. Uh, uh, we start with Roma. They beat Kievo 4-1. Um, goals, uh, Patrick Schick getting on the score sheet uh, for Roma. Um, Aiden Jekyll making it 2-0 uh, on 40 minutes. Stefan El Sharawi in the 65th. Aiden Jekyll in the 67th. Um, Bobby English, your boy. Yeah. Uh, salvaging a little dignity for the uh, not-so-flying donkeys uh, in this 4-1 defeat. He missed a penalty earlier. Um uh, that was the result of the, uh, was it a Juan Jesus red card? Yep. Uh, uh, so Roma were down to 10 men for much of this game uh, from when they led 2-0. And, uh, you know, Bobby English, Roberto Inglesi, Bobby English, he missed the PK in, in, in the 59th minute. He would score in the 88th to deny Alisson his uh, clean sheet. Uh, but this is Roma at another gear, and... Um, this is Kievo just man they're just they're 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 miserable all of a sudden um you know we'll get to them in a second i'm going to run through the other games that i had and then I, I did four you did four so um sunday morning began with crotone beating sassuolo 4-1 yeah. um, a huge three points for crotone braces for marcello trotta and simi uh domenico berardi getting a penalty for sassuolo in that one um uh, moving on, Atalanta in their bid to hang on to sixth and grab a Europa League place for a second consecutive season. They beat Genoa 3-1. <clears throat> Excuse me. Musa Barro in the 16th minute. Brian Cristante in the 22nd minute. Joseph Ilicic with an oh dear lord goal uh, in the 74th. Uh, Miguel Veloso on a, I believe that was a free kick there to, uh, to uh, salvage some dignity there. Uh, for the Grifone, but Atalanta win 3-1. And then the last of my cluster, Benevento and Udinese. Udinese, new manager, Igor Tudor. Mm-hmm. Um, you remember the name, Croatian international. Uh, did he play for Juventus? I want to say he... I want to say he, I want to say he spent some time playing for Juve. He may have. I don't, re- I don't recall, but it's very possible. They get everybody. <laughs> I know that, yeah. <laughs> I know that he uh, had some time there in uh, uh, Serie A. Yes, he spent much of his career at the Italian club Juventus winning several trophies. So there you go. Thanks, Wikipedia. I can always count on you. Um, Croatian football manager now with Udinese hired after Massimo Odo stepped down following an 11-match losing streak. Mm. Um, Boy, Udinese went from a potential uh, European contender to now just trying to fight off relegation. Well, this one was fun. Benevento 3, Udinese 3. Silvan Vidmer opened the scoring for the Zabretta in the 13th uh, to be equalized by Nicolas Viola in the 23rd. Uh, Massimo Cota scoring a penalty to put the Witches in front 2-1 in the 76th, but in the 78th and 79th minute, goals from Kevin Lasagna before Bakary Sanya scoring in the 90th uh, to rescue a point for bottom side Benevento uh, in the win over Udinese. So uh, let's go through this cluster. Roma 4-1 over Kievo, Crotone 4-1 over Sassuolo, Atalanta 3-1 over Genoa, and uh, Benevento 3-3 against Udinese. Richard, uh, Roma 
And four one, hey, they do four one on Wednesday. They're in the Champions League final, so hey, they got good practice at getting a uh, scoreline that they needed, didn't they? Yeah, and they got a guy uh, to have a very very good game, and that was uh, the Pharaoh El Sharawi. He had yeah. an excellent game in that game. He only hit one goal, but. Uh, he had hit a post. He set up a couple other goals. Uh, he was very informed, and that's a very good sign for Roma going into the Champions League final or <laughs> semifinal against uh, Liverpool there. Uh, so very impressive by for him and and the team really. Uh, Jacko getting getting goals like he always does. It's good to keep him hot because uh, they obviously need him to score goals uh, heading into this big game too. And thanks to uh, uh, results from some of the games that you're going to, one of the games that you're going to talk about. This Kievo defeat now has them in 18th. Oy, oy. It's it's getting real for your boys. You're gonna have to you're, you're gonna have to start brushing up on some Serie B here. Uh, yeah, well, hey, Serie B is actually very entertaining this season. We'll get to that, <laughs> la- we'll get to that later, though. Uh, Kiev do not Kiev do not want to be there. Uh, it's uh, we've been saying for half the season that Rolando uh, Maran has got to go, and we told you told you, and if you you don't get rid of him, they're gonna be in a relegation fight. They're gonna be in a relegation zone, and look where they're at now. Um, Crotone is getting hot at the right time. Spal is getting hot. Um, it's not a good sign for Kievo. Only, only bit of saving grace is that Cagliari and Udinese are also playing terribly at the moment. So, um, but as like you said, they're currently in 18th spot. So um, that's definitely not a spot that they want to be in. If they, and if they don't get any better results, they're going to be in Serie B. But here's their run in: Crotone at home, Bologna away, Benevento at home. Mm. A very doable, a Certainly. very a very doable slate for them to get out of this. How many points out of those nine do they need? Oh, they need. Ooh, I think they need at least six. You think they need at least six, huh? I, okay. I, the way the form that Crotone is playing right now, Spal are getting points. Um, Calderi, they're just outside and, and they they can get points. They're they're not gonna, you know, shit the bed kind of like um, Kievo. Or I think Kievo need to get as many points as possible. I don't think they can beat Crotone. Uh, but the other two games are winnable, um, and so yeah, I think it'll take six at least because it's 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 going to be a dogfight down down the, down the stretch here, and I think all those teams involved are going to find ways, scratch ways to get points, and uh, if not three points, one point at least down the stretch, so that you know Kievo are going to do what they can to get some points to, to leap for all these teams. Yeah, um, I think they. I mean, and you know, Benevento is not a gimme all of a sudden. Uh, oh, goals now. Yeah, they're scoring goals, and um, you know they're flashing a little bit of form. They played they they played their uh, they played their hearts out against Juventus uh, just a few weeks back. They you know they beat Milan on ten men. They drew Udinese here. They 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 drew Sassuolo. So that's not a piece of cake. So it's going to be yeah, six points might be what Kiev will need con- considering what everybody in front of them is doing and getting their act together. So you say six? I think that I think that you know six would certainly ma- certainly make them safe. They could get away with it if they got four, you know, depending on how other games went. So, you know, just a, just certainly a curious case. Crotone, you talked about incredible form. I don't think we had to spend a lot of time on Sassuolo. Very disappointing season from them, but they're in 13th on 37 points. They're six points clear of the drop with three games to go. Um, they're safe, in my opinion. They host Sampdoria, but actually, let me take that back about Sassuolo. They host Sampdoria, which Sampdoria have been brutal in away matches, so keep your eye on that one. 
Um, but then at Inter and then hosting Roma, two teams that are desperate for Champions League football next season. So Sassuolo might be sitting in 13th, huh. but they can get pulled right back into this very, very easily. I yeah. still say if they can figure out how, how if they can figure out how to get a point in one of these games, that will do it for them. Um, Crotone three points safe from the drop uh, at Kievo, so a big one there on Sunday, and then they host Lazio and travel to Napoli. So in Crotone's case, might be pretty crucial for them to beat uh, to beat Kievo here. Yeah, luckily for them, uh, Marcello Trota and uh, and Simi are playing fantastic right now. Yeah. Simi's having a, he's having a, like a freaking career year these last seven games or something like that. Uh, he's had I think his third third or fourth brace uh, during the stretch too. So uh, he's he's on fire. Uh, Trota's on fire right now, and that's uh, you want your strikers to be in form. And uh, Crotone is playing. They're really playing really well against with Walter Zenga. So um, I like I like the fire that they have. They're going to be tougher. Whoever they play, but uh, Kievo especially, I think they're gonna they're gonna make it long day for Kievo. Ten points and, from their ten points from their last five games, including a draw with Juve. And and just so you know, I volunteered you that if uh, Crotone gets saved this year, that you would buy uh, a Simi jersey, <laughs> as I did last year with Diego Falcinelli. <laughs> a Simi jersey, huh? That's okay. your boy. <laughs> All right. Um... I, you know, I may, you know, I, you have to go to Crotone to probably buy it. That's where I had to go to get my Valtinelli one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I might have to do that. I'll see. I'll, 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 I'll see. Let's see if they can just survive this first. But that sounds like something that I might uh, be a sucker for. Um, <laughs> Genoa's in, Genoa's in great shape. I mean, they're, 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 they're going to be back next season, 41 points. They're in 11th. Um, you know, they're Atalanta though. Wow. What a run they're on. And, um, you know, they, uh, they now have won three straight. They are unbeaten in five, um, after that kind of that fluky loss, uh, to Zamptoria back at the beginning of April, but they've, yeah, uh, a they've yep. They've ripped off 11 points from the last five. Uh, and, uh, for them at Lazio, Hosting Milan, which will be a big one for sixth, uh, and then Ot Cagliari to finish up. And uh, Gasparini's men uh, on their form, uh, really, really on the cusp of getting back into uh, uh, the Europa League next season. And you have to give them the advantage based on current form uh, with all the teams that are involved in the Europa League. Uh, uh, Atalanta are playing fantastic football ever since really they've been uh, kicked out of uh, the Europa League they've been on fire and, and they've been giving everybody uh, hellish hellish time um, their attack has seemed to have been amped up since they've been back in Syria it seems like uh, they had that one blip in the radar against Sampdoria but every every other team they played they've they put in an average of three goals a game, and the one game they didn't score three goals they had one goal they had like thirty shots in that game or something crazy yeah so they're they're a tough team and I think you know if they can. They'll definitely get three points uh, the last game of the season, but that Milan game, um, I would not be surprised if they got three points based on current form, and that 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 game, this result of that game could make or break their Europa League uh, with Milan. But I got to give them the advantage right now. Well, they get them at they they get them in Bergamo, so um, Ooh, that's that, that's also an advantage. So um, it will be uh, it will be quite a game that one. Uh, but Atalanta just in great form here to close out the season really good to see uh you know benevento um last week uh confirmed their place in setting b next season 
<clears throat> not going down without a fight, certainly. Uh, picking up some wins and some draws here along the way and scoring some goals. Uh, but Udinese now with Igor Tudor as manager, his job is simple. Keep him up. Um, and to do it, he's got to figure out how to get points uh, at home against Inter, at Verona, and then at home against Bologna. Um, how do you uh, how do you see Udinese's run in? Uh, and uh, did you like what you saw with uh, Tudor's Udinese? Did you feel like it was just kind of a continuation of what um, uh, Odo was doing? Uh, or uh, did you see some differences? Uh, you know, let's, uh, let's let, obviously there, there is a consistent in the fact that Kevin Lasagna is scoring goals. Um, but, um, you know, has, has, has Tudor shown anything here in this first game that suggests that he's got it in him and he's going to be able to rally this team to stay up? Well, he, he got them to not lose. Uh, so that's a big change right there. Uh, 11 games, like you said, it's a third yep. worst streak in Serie A history. Uh, so he did get that, but it's, it's pretty much the same. The only thing I saw was that the, the players tried a little bit more and they actually got the goals to go in this week as opposed to other weeks where they, they did try, but they, they, they couldn't, they weren't clinical enough. And in this game, uh, Kevin Lasagna obviously, uh, had a fantastic game, but Vidmer started the scoring as well. So, um, I just think, it's very slight differences. I mean, they got they got the they didn't lose. That's as big, and then they're scoring now, um, which was the biggest thing for them because they could not score before. So that that's the only difference. And I don't know if you can attribute that to Tudor or or not. Um, sometimes it's just the bounce of the ball, really. So it, I'm a wait and see, and I don't know how this run's going to go with them. Um, it's going to be tough for them because they're in this relegation fight, and it's, you know some of the teams in this fight are playing really well right now, and. Um, it'll be curious. It's, uh, it'll be, it'll come down to the last, it might come down to the last game, really, uh, depending on if they continue on this losing streak or, uh, they find a way to get a win or, or some draws here. So, uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be must watch TV. Uh, out of those four games, uh, the Ilicic goal, the pick of them? Ooh, Which one did uh, you like? Let me see. Uh, yeah, Ilicic was definitely, that was a really nice goal. Um, unfortunately, Simi didn't have a nice goal this weekend. They're, they're pretty standard goals in that. Um, yeah, I'll give it. I'll give it to him. Okay. okay. Yeah, it was. It was a very nice. It was a very nice finish. Uh, the pass uh, by Papu Gomez to Cristante was very nice. That might have been the pass of the weekend there. Yeah, well, Gomez has just been in scorching form uh, over these last several weeks. Just uh, really good to see from him. So those are my four, and then uh, why don't you round out? You we why don't you round out? Tell us what happened with Bologna, Milan, Verona, Spal, Sampdoria, Cagliari, and then Torino, Lazio. Well, Milan knew they had to win in their game, seeing that Atalanta, had, you know, won their game three to one. Um, Hakanchalanolu he opened up the scoring in the thirty fourth minute um, with a lovely goal. It was a pass. I, the whole play really it was Leonardo Bonucci he made a deep pass to uh, Frank Kessie, who chested it right to Patrick Crotone, and he just fed the, fed the ball right to Chalanolu uh, with a brilliant finish there. Um, Chalanolu prov- became provider. Uh, just before halftime when he set up Bonaventura with an, a strike almost in that exact location of a uh, Chalanolu's goal. Uh, Milan went up 2 nothing at halftime. Um, Di Maio would, have, would score a goal late to uh, make it interesting, but Milan would walk away with a 2-1 win. Um, heading over to Verona and Spal. Um, Hellas, were, they were hosting this one, and the crowd was into it very early. I, I could see that. And uh, Matteo Vallotti, he scored early. I uh, got the goal in the 13th minute. Um, and then Verona, they scored again uh, in stoppage time in the first half. Uh, it was Mohamed Faris, uh, one problem, Frank. Uh, he scored on his own goal. Uh, yeah. 
That made it 1-1 going into halftime. Uh, Felipe with a fallen away goal scored in uh, the 71st minute to make it 2-1. And then in stoppage time, uh, Yasmin Kurtic uh, scored a goal, gives Spa all three points with a 3-1 victory. Um, heading over to Sampdoria, Cagliari, Sampdoria. Um, they've had some better better plays of late. Um, and this one, Dennis Pright, he started the scoring in the seventh minute. Uh, it was a great way to, to start the game for Sampdoria. They haven't had the best of starts as of late. Um, old man Fabio Quadrella finally getting back on the score sheet, gets his 19th in the season in 26th minute. And just before halftime, David Kovnatsky, uh gets a goal. Uh, Sampdoria up 3 nothing at halftime. Uh, Leonardo Pavoletti tried to make it interesting just after that break. Uh, scored in the 49th, but it was... Uh, that's all Cagliari could muster up, and um, and Gaston Ramirez would end the end their misery, making a four-one late in that one, and then rounding it off, uh, the game that I thought for sure was going to over/under of nine goals. It was three yeah. and Lazio. I for sure thought Frank there was going to be goals in this game. What did you think going into this? Yeah, I, I, I when you consider the uh, attacking power from both sides, uh, nine. Okay, you're getting carried away, but yeah, I'm I thought optimistic. I. I thought I thought a three-two, I thought a three-two kind of game was easily on the cards with these two teams, especially yeah. with the way Lazio games have been. Yeah, they're almost like guaranteed five goals in their games. It seems as of late, whether they score them or give them up, uh, we saw with that Salzburg game. Uh, yeah, so this game uh, has a bit of bad news in the beginning. Chiro Immobile goes off with an injury. Uh, I guess it was a muscle injury. He has taken out, and Felipe Caicedo would come in uh, as his replacement. Um, it'd be a while before we see any goals. It wouldn't be until the second half. Uh, Sergei Milikovic Savic would score off a uh, corner kick from Luis Alberto, who, by the way, missed a penalty in the 23rd minute. Uh, Salvatore Sirigu made a save. He's made penalty kick saves uh, a couple times this season already, and uh, it was just another one with Luis Alberto. Um, at first, I thought it was strange that he uh, he was taking a kick, but then I remembered, you know, Imoli was out. Um, so Milikovic Savic got the goal in the 56th minute. That would be all that they would score. Adam Lajic had an opportunity late in the in the game to with a free kick uh, in a very, very uh, tasty spot, but he shoots it just over the crossbar. Lazio win uh, one nothing in that one. Um, so looking at all the, the those, four, those four games in particular, uh, there was a VAR that was involved in the Milan-Bologna game. Uh, Ricardo Orsolini scored a goal. Or so we thought. Uh, it went to VAR. It was deemed that um, uh, Rodrigo Palacio handed the ball in the box before he gave it to uh, Ricardo Orsalini, and so no goal was allowed there. Uh, what did you make of that? Did you think it was a fair handball call, or uh, do you think it was a little suspect? I'm a Milan fan, and I thought that was suspect. I thought that that was a gift. Um, you know, I did, it's one of those where... You know, this is truly one of those where it's 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 down to the uh, human element, you know, and what they interpret and what they see. Uh, and I don't think that that you know, well, clearly Palacio is not trying to intend to handle the ball, um, you know, first and foremost. And then, you know, it, it becomes a judgment call of do you go to VAR or do you let the goal stand? And you know, someone in VAR had it in them to say this shouldn't count. That was a handball, um, you know. And, and and that's what happened. I I thought it was a little cruel, but and apparently Roberto Donadoni also thought it was cruel. Um, uh, saying I think he said something to the effect of the papers that VAR has clearly not benefited the uh, weak, you know, uh, the lower teams in the league. So, hmm. um, so it's uh, 
you know, it's just one of those that, uh, you know, as a Milan fan, okay, lucky that uh, lucky that we're going to get away with one or lucky that we're going to dodge a bullet here. But, uh, you know, in the scheme of things, uh, one of those that um, one of those that it's just like a total 50-50 judgment call and uh, one that uh, they could have they could have allowed the goal. Another one where they they could have done what they did. And, and, and really, for me, I, I thought it was harsh. Yeah, no, I agree. And and Bologna weren't doing themselves any favor. That was really the only good play that Bologna had in that game. Uh, Milan really took it to them in the game as far as position-wise. I thought Hakan Chalanolu had a very, a very very good game. He continues to flourish under um, uh, Gennaro Gattuso. Um, yeah, so, I mean, uh, that that was really, like, the only, like, big play for Bologna. They're, they're obviously on beach mode now. And, yeah, you know, Stefan De Maio's goal made it spicy, uh, but I don't. I think Milan were pretty comfortable in that game. I've seen games where it's been a little bit, a uh, little bit, a little. You know, you want to clench your fist a little bit because you're not sure how that game's going to end. I thought that I thought Milan were pretty safe in that game. Well, uh, they had a stretch of they had a stretch of the the opening 15 minutes of the second half where they should have come away with at least two goals. Yeah, Mirante really kept them kept the Bologna in the game is what it was. Yeah, yeah, and it was a stretch of 15 minutes that made you wonder where where was this the entire month of April? You played like this all April. You're right in the hunt for a Champions League place. So, <clears throat> or maybe they did play like this, and it just, you know, I made a very cynical comment about the starting lineup, um, you know, before before kickoff with with respect to Milan, saying, you know, cynical prediction, Milan will boss possession, but because the strikers have been struggling so much, they're not going to score, and Bologna is going to get a really weak one, and Milan are going to drop three more points, right? <laughs> so, um, and. Uh, and and you know the the strikers were not needed for goals in this game as Chalanolu and Bonaventura got the goals. What was your grade or your your assessment of um, uh, Manuel Locatelli's performance in this one? Um, B plus. Yeah, I thought he was he played well. He wasn't fantastic, but he played very well considering the the um, situation that they were in. Uh, I thought he did. He, he he filled in admirably, and he he definitely has some promise. It just needs some game time, which he hasn't had, unfortunately. Yeah, he played with confidence. Um, he, I thought he made some good decisions. He didn't he he, he didn't give uh, he didn't give a whole lot away. He didn't allow the game to be too big for him. I thought he you know I thought he put in a very strong uh, composed performance today. Um, as far as Hellas and Spal, you know. It was two teams that are in the relegation fight. Hellas are obviously doomed to relegation at this point. Spal, yeah. they're finally starting to show some spunk with them. Um, nothing too much to take away other than, obviously, Spal are the better of the two teams as far as Syria capabilities. Um, so it's, it's, Spal has been spicy all season long, and Hellas has shown very, very few glimpses of, of scoring, not, let alone you know good play. So um, I think that was, uh, it was a pretty much straight-up one there. Sampdoria Cagliari, that scoreline, was that more indicative of how bad Cagliari have been playing as of late in their beach mode uh, ways, or does Sampdoria maybe, maybe, just maybe finally um, getting back on track, possibly? You know, because Cagliari hasn't scored in a while, and now he finally gets 19th. Well, first of all, Cagliari might want to get off that beach because, you know, there's three games left and they're right in this like uh, relegation. So they're only two points above safety. Um, Sampdoria have become Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, you know, Dr. Jekyll at the Luigi Ferrari, um, where they win games, Mr. Hyde away. They're absolutely, they're absolutely brutal. Um, you know, and there's just, there's something weird about them all of a sudden. Uh, I made the, I made the comment here a few weeks ago that I think that some of the problem here with 
some of the problem here with Giampaolo's 4-3-1-2 with the Trequartista um, that it seems to have been found out a little bit. You know, and if you don't have, and when you're relying on uh, a very veteran and a very, you know, a, a Fabio Quagliarella who is in the autumn of his career, you know, to, 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 to come good with the goals, that's, that's asking a lot. Um, you know, and uh, Lucas Torreira has been the one constant in Sampdoria this season. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, some things have worn off with Sampdoria. I think that they've been found out a little bit. Now, this game here against Cagliari, uh, they were able to put it together and they were able to turn it around. Cagliari in particular stink. Uh, you know, we've always, you know, we've always had our fun with them. Defensively, they were just beyond poor last year. But now they're, they, now they, these last three games, they can't score goals. Um, they go to Inter and get battered. Uh, and matter of fact, you look at their away form now, they've, they go off the island and they lose. Um, and uh, their only win in this run, in this away run, is is at Benevento back on March 18th. But uh, otherwise, you have to go pretty far back to see the last time Cali won away. They won away at the end of 2017 uh, against Atalanta. Oof. So, um, you know, so they're another team. They, these are two that are kind of the, uh, you know, they're both, they're both, difficult to deal with at home but they're both miserable away and Sampdoria got to take advantage of a miserable away team just like they're a miserable away team when they when they go on their travels so um and then and then to round this up uh Torino and Lazio you know it was pretty much a, a defensive stalemate in this one obviously you don't want um we hope that Immobile isn't out for a long time because he's at 29 goals and it'd really be a shame if he didn't get to, to 30 um that kind of really opens up the Capacanieri race because he had a stranglehold for a while, but now Icardi's up to 27, I believe, and, and Immobile's at 29. Our prediction, Frank, as we were saying, uh, talking off air, it's um, it could come to fruition uh, with uh, Immobile out for a couple games. Right, um, and you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to be running a prediction on the count of that, no, but injuries no. injuries do happen. Um, uh, you know, from the sounds of it, it's it's 15 days. It could be 15 days, it could be 20 days, but he could also recover quickly and be around for the, that that final game against Inter, uh, where there could be a lot on the line. Um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb and say he'll be in that game. I, he's gonna find a way to get back in that game. If it means trying to secure a Champions League place, he's gonna go out of his way to make sure he's playing. Yeah. Um. So, uh, you know, having said that. I don't know how much Lazio is going to. I mean, obviously, Ciro Immobile has 29 goals this season, but Lazio as a team in Serie A have 84 goals. You know, so it's not like that they're gonna. It's not like they're gonna so, suddenly stop scoring without him. Big game on sun, next Sunday against Atalanta. That's a huge one for both teams. Um, you know, so certainly his the la, his lack of presence is going to be felt. Um, but Caicedo has been serviceable. Yeah. Um, you know, Luis Alberto will pick up the slack and you now have, you know, you can, you can count on Felipe Anderson in this mix somehow. Um, so Inzaghi will have all week to restructure this and have this, you know, and put this right, um, ahead of that game against, ahead of the welcome of Atalanta. So, um, you know, and that's what I expect him to do. He's done some, he, he's done good. He, he's come good with limited resources. And I think that he'll have a chance to do it again here. Um, you know, and, uh, I think that it's a situation where I think Lazio will have the ability to tread water without Immobile. There's no other distractions. There's no Europa League to play in. There's no 
Coppa yep. Italia final. So they can focus. They can focus on these three games, and they'll use the cliche: "We have three finals." And you know, if if they play all three games without Immobile, they'll find ways to get the points to try to maintain their top four position. Um, but my guess is that Immobile will race to be back for that uh, uh, for that all important game against Inter. If Inzaghi can find a way somehow next year to get this team to play defense, they're going to be in a fight for the Scudetto with the way this team can score. Most definitely. Um, and then as far as Torino go, uh, you know, yes, they lost, but it was a high-powered offense they went, went up against, and they only gave it one goal. Um, I, I'm liking Walter Mazzari as a, as a as the appointment there more and more each week as it goes on. Um, they still need to find some ways to score some goals, but they're 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 not giving up as many goals as they used to. Um, Sidigu's playing a lot better. Defense is playing better. Uh, Nkolo had a, a dumb penalty today for the for the. Uh, the penalty kick, but yeah. uh, other than that, he's been very solid for them all season. Uh, certainly an upgrade from last season. So I, you know, Torino, they have they have some ways to go, obviously still, but I think they can. Uh, it's good signs for them coming with with Walter Mazzari, uh, and they need to continue progressing. I mean, the first and foremost goal for them, they they've got two things facing them here this summer. Um, Andrea Bellotti, first of all, there's going to be a lot yeah. of talk about him again, um, but. Do they need him? I mean, I mean, yeah, would he be? He, he obviously they would love to have him, and I know I'm sounding crazy by asking, do they need him? But you know, they have, he he has not scored at the rate that he scored last season, and and Torino have still turned out okay. And at least under Walter Mazzotti, there seems to be some sort of a plan um, where it they've looks almost, like they've almost scored less with Belotti in the lineup as of late. It seems like yeah. I mean, Iago Falke has been terrific. Yep. Um, you know, they'll be able to hang on to him. Um, but, but they've got two, they've got two issues. They've got, they've got Pelotti, uh, and whether or not he's going to be back in the picture next season. Um, and then they've got, uh, Nkolu, who's on loan, um, from Lyon. If they can find out how to make that permanent. Seriously, um, no doubt. <laughs> I think that that would be huge for them. I mean, Sirigu has been great, uh, since returning, uh, you know, from, um, you know, from some of his, uh, adventures in France and then Spain. Uh, but, um, this is a, you know, there's a there's a bit of a foundation here for Torino to do some pretty good things next season. Their summer's going to be very interesting, um, but but Bellotti and Encolo are two huge questions for them. You know, on the scope of how they're performing and how Mazzari has them situated, they may not need Bellotti, and they'll be able to if they can find another striker to you know, to 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 uh, to put it together, they'll be fine. It's it's to me, hot take. Uh, keeping Nkolu is more important to Torino than keeping Belotti. I, I, I'll go with that too, because uh, if you can keep the if you can keep clean sheets and and keep the other team from scoring, uh, it gives you a better chance to win than scoring goals. Because uh, we've seen with some of the teams in this league that while you can score goals doesn't mean you're going to win because you're going to give up goals. Um, and they have plenty of firepower on that team outside of Belotti uh, with Iago Falke and Adam Lajic pulling the strings. Um, that they're going to be more than more than capable of scoring goals. So, yeah, mm. I'm with you. I'm with you. And Colo uh, is definitely uh, someone who I'd focus on more than Belotti. Yeah, indeed. So it gives us a table of we talked about the uh, the the Scudetto race, 88 and 84 right now for Juventus and Napoli respectively. Champions League places: Lazio in third on 70, Roma on in fourth on 70, Inter fifth on 66 and let's just look at their run-ins we mentioned big one for Lazio here on Sunday 
hosting Atalanta. Then they travel to Crotone, and then the big one at home against Inter uh, to round things out. Roma obviously have that small matter of uh, seeing if they can uh, overturn Liverpool this week. Uh, but they travel to Cagliari, host Juventus, and then they're at Sassuolo, um, and then Inter, uh, looking at their run-in, um, at Udinese, host Sassuolo, and then at Lazio. Um, I have to think that Lazio clearly have the toughest run-in out of the three, yeah. but they're four points clear of Inter. Is it is it going to be tough to the point where they could lose their place to enter? Um, or do you think that, you know, I think really and genuinely because of what Lazio has in front of them, Lazio via enter is for a Champions League place. I think Roma are going to go, I think that Roma are going to handle a couple of these games and, you know, and get some separation and in fact finish third, as I've, I've been saying for a few weeks now. Um, but I think that Lazio Inter game is for fourth place and is for a Champions League spot. Yeah, if you look at the remaining schedule, I'm kind of with you. I think Roma are going to be able to secure that third spot um, with with some of these results that they could probably get. Uh, Lazio does have a tougher schedule more than the other two, and Inter has a favorable, favorable one. Um, I can certainly see the results going the way where the last match between Inter-Lazio uh, it's going to come down to that for the final Champions League spot, and and that game is going to be a doozy. Not only for that, but you also got you're going to have it's going to come down to Immobile Icardi for that last uh, for the Gabacanieri, yeah. which is secondary in this in this race, but it's going to be fantastic nonetheless because you know both teams are going to try to feed their strikers as well as well as trying to get the Champions League spot. So I think I'm with you. I think it's going to come to that last game. Um, I don't see. Uh, Either either team pulling away. Well, I, I see Inter since they're four points back, they're gonna they're gonna catch up to to Lazio because the teams that the three teams that they gotta face are all playing really well right now. So um, it'll be very very fun to watch. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Um, the Europa League places, obviously, we've got Inter. Inter Inter will be in Europe. Uh, it's just a matter of what competition. When you take a look at their position right, right now, Atalanta sixth on fifty eight, Milan. 7th on 57, Sampdoria and Fiorentina on 54. Now, what are the ramifications for Milan if they win the Coppa Italia? They're in the Europa League regardless of their finish. Is that what I understand? Yeah, because because uh, Juve are going to be well champions, but they're also going to be in Champions League anyway. So uh, that spot's going to go to, I think, Milan or, Milan or that 7th spot is going to be... Well, let's put it this way. Um, as long as Milan stay in 7th, they're going to be in Coppa Italia. Now, if they win, obviously they're in. If yep. they lose and somehow Sampdoria or Fiorentina catch them, uh, then those one of those teams are going to be in the seventh spot. But I, I do believe uh, Italy will have a seventh spot, uh, an extra spot in Europa League next year. Regardless. They, they host Verona uh, before the um, Coppa Italia final against Juve. Then they're at Atalanta and hosting Fiorentina. Mm. Um, so you definitely have a nice little round robin there for the Europa League for the remaining Europa League places. Um, I'm going to disqualify Sampdoria from this equation because I think they're too weird in their away games. <laughs> um, it could come down to that Milan-Sampdoria game at the end of the season. You know, and I, and I want to see... It's it, it just... Well, Milan's, Milan's hosting Fiorentina. Well, Fiorentina, sorry. Season, yeah. That's but, what I meant. I meant Fiorentina. Yeah, I know you did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're they're at Sassuolo uh, and Sampdoria. They're at Sassuolo. They got two away games left. 
and they've done nothing in their travels here except that one win over at Atalanta that suggests to me that they're going to be equipped to do away games in Sassuolo and Spal uh, are in still in a relegation scrum, and they get they get Sampdoria coming to them, which they're probably excited by. And then Sampdoria also hosts Napoli. You know, and we've got to see where Napoli's psyche is going to be at here. You know, so maybe I shouldn't disqualify them so quickly because, yeah, they've got two away fixtures, but they're against teams that they should beat. And then the home game against Napoli, they might win. You know, if Napoli have gotten to a point of no return, yeah. and say, boy, they're, we're, we're not going to catch them. Um, you know, you could you could certainly see a scenario where they're just gassed to give up and Sampdoria win the match. So, um, you know, I so that's you know that's kind of the outlook that I have here. And then Fiorentina's run in. Uh, we obviously they they go to the San Siro there on match week 38 on May 20th. Um, they travel to Genoa coming up, which is never easy. Uh, and then they host Cagliari, which I think you can book three points there, considering Cagliari's away form, as we talked about. Um, but uh, but then they but then they travel to Milan. So this is a situation where these Europa League places are very wide open. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because there's uh, three. You can probably say if you want to qualify for some Torre, be four teams in there. Um, I can guarantee you almost that Atalanta are going to make it the way just they're playing as of late. Sure, uh, they're they're playing one of the best best. They're one of the best playing teams right now in, in Serie A. Uh, but yeah, Milan and uh, Fiorentina, those two teams, um, it'll be a dogfight for that last that last that last match or last spot. So yeah, it's going to uh, all these races are are good, really really good right now in Serie A. You know, from the top, the middle, and, and the end at the bottom. Um, it's uh, it's you don't want to miss any 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 game here from from down the stretch. But BN Sports thinks people out there would rather watch women's tennis. Um, it's the way of the world. So, uh, yeah, your takes on the races here in Serie A, which is really proving to be the most exciting league in Europe. Um, last year for their goals, this year for all of the close uh, uh, races here over the last few games. At Serie A, sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Let's uh, talk Roma in the Champions League. Okay, Richard. Well, uh, we, we, we already know what happened uh, several days ago. Roma traveled to Anfield. We talked. The, uh, the goal was, um, was, you know, obviously they would love to have taken an away win back to the Olympico for second leg, uh, but ultimately control the damage, come away, come out with some away goals and, um, put themselves in a spot at the Olympico where they could overturn the tie and reach the Champions League final. Well, they have created quite the mountain. Uh, at Liverpool, um, and uh, they lose, as we know, 5-2. Um, Mohamed Salah put on a clinic, two goals, two assists. Um, but uh, Jurgen Klopp did Roma a favor here, Richard, bringing him off, uh, not paying attention to the fact that this is a 100-minute thing, not a 90-minute thing. And Roma... Liverpool looked like a different team. Roma looked looked a little bit more motivated. They would get late goals from Aiden Dzeko and then a, a Diego Perotti penalty. 5-2, uh, heading back to the Olympico. So, Richard, uh, Roma heading back to the Olympico, down three with away goals. They got Liverpool right where they want them, don't they? <laughs> yeah, compared to Barcelona game, yeah, exactly. Um yeah, for the first the first part of that of that that game against Liverpool, they looked out of their element completely, and it was kind of similar to what it was against Barcelona. They looked like they had no business being there. Uh, that they well, got first, I, I, the first twenty minutes or so, they looked pretty good. 
Yeah, you know no, they that's true, but yeah, the Kolarov uh, chance that Karius uh, tipped. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and they looked like they were actually they had some semblance of control of the match. So, but go on. Yeah, but then as soon as uh, as soon as uh, Mo, Mo Salah scored, it it went downhill from there big time. Um, you know, I was saying I was commenting during the game that Mo Salah looked a lot like Messi in that game. He just did whatever he wanted with the ball. It would just gravitate towards him. He just did anything he wanted. And if you put Messi jersey on him, you wouldn't you would know the difference other than the Afro. Uh, he was he was magical in that game and. They gotta find a way to to stop him because they look completely lost when he was out there. And soon as yeah, as soon as he came off, like you said, they scored two big away goals. Um, yes, it's five to two, but it's two away goals, and they can somehow find to get three goals. They're all of a sudden in the lead. Uh, they get four goals. They're out and out winners. Um, it's very very possible. We see what we saw what they did at the Barcelona. They implement the same strategy. Um, yeah, it's a different different team uh, hacking wise. Barcelona were are slow build up. Uh, Liverpool are a faster-paced team, but if they can find a way to control Mo Salah, um, that'll be the key to the game. Uh, right. Easier, gotta, easier, easier said than done this season. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> especially, especially the way he played in that first leg. Uh, we seen, we seen, you know, you were able to shut down Messi. So whatever you did in that game to shut him down, you got to find a way to do that with Mo Salah. If somehow they can, they can pull a miraculous uh, comeback like they did against Barcelona. It's it's going to be very very hard to do, but. Uh, I think the key in that game is Mo Salah, obviously, because we saw what happened when he was there and when he wasn't there. Um, yeah, you know, I, I certainly agree with that. A um, couple things from the first leg, okay? Uh, and I, I tried to shout this on Twitter a couple of times, and, and nobody really listened, but I'm just trying to say the under-the-radar take was um, – probably the best thing that could have happened to Liverpool was Ox get, Oxlade-Chamberlain getting hurt uh, and having to go off for uh, Georgino Wijnaldum. Uh, oh, he played fantastic too. Exactly, because when you looked at how Liverpool lined up and you looked at their midfield three, it was Oxlade-Chamberlain, Henderson, and uh, James Milner. And we've got a lot of Liverpool people at World Football Index. And I would ask any of I would I would bravely tell, without any reservation, tell any of them, none of those three scare me as far as being a baller. You know, as far as being having an ability to blow anything up, you know, James Milner does the part because if he wants a spot on this 11 for Liverpool, he has to do it. It still doesn't mean he's good at it. Okay. Wijnaldum was the one guy that you put him in, aside from Emery Chan, who was injured. Um, you know, Wijnaldum's the one guy that once, if he's in there, he's, he's going to, he's the one with the uh, endless tank. Uh, that runs things down in the midfield, that can diffuse things, that where, where Roma had some of the spaces available to them in those opening 20 minutes or so, they were suddenly gone. Um, but it also looked like the 3-4-2-1 that Di Francesco played, he played, it, he played it against Barcelona. And you can do it against Barcelona, to your point. It's slow buildup. Barcelona are not, you know, they're going to just, they're going to knock it around. Um you know, and wait for you to come just attached enough where they can go through you and score. Liverpool, on the other hand, their three fr- their front three is explosive going forward, and they're not afraid to go route one on you. So when you play the high line on Liverpool like you did against Barcelona, this is a situation where I think Di Francesco just got lazy and said, well, I played this against Barcelona and beat them. I, I should be able to beat Liverpool with it. That's just the way it came off to me. And... What did Liverpool do? Direct ball. Salah got under it. 
I mean, how many times did you see it happen? And then after that, Manolas and Fazio, both of them, were collectively were as poor as I've seen them. Yeah. Usually one's poor and the other one's pretty good. They were both bad. So, um, you know, and then Solano made the point about Strootman and Di Rossi. They certainly were no help either. So, I mean, all said, with all the gloom and doom, there's still a chance, and they've done it before. And I think they're going to be buoyed by that. Now, I don't think they're going to do it again. Um, you know, I, 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 I hope they do. Um, I think that this is one where they're going to win 2-1. to one. Uh, You know, they'll beat Liverpool 2-1, uh, but obviously Liverpool will have the aggregate win and reach the Champions League final. I'd, I'd love to see Roma do this again. I'd love to see some of the feelings and some of the scenes that we saw at the Olympico when they knocked out Barcelona. I just, uh, I, I just can't see it with this Liverpool team. I just think, because the other, the other issue you run into is if you do try to shut down Salah, Firmino and Firmino and Mane, and especially Sadio Mane, he's been outstanding in the Champions League. They're, 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 they're good enough to, they're good enough to beat you if you completely dedicate your game plan to Salah. Yeah, no, they're very, they're more than capable. Um, but like you, kind of like what you said, the game was in Roma's favor until Wijnaldum came in, and the, and the dynamics changed. And the big mistake that I noticed is watching the tape over and over again is how they left Salah so open. I mean, yeah. they know he's a, how good he's been this season. He was just miles and miles of acreage in front of him. Like all the guys would shift to the one side of the pitch. I'm like, why are you leaving him by himself? He just leaving to do whatever he wants, and that was a big problem. If they got, they need to correct that. Uh, I don't know if that's because Kolarov was so much so far up the pitch trying to score or what, uh, but they need to correct that if they want to have any chance in the game. Uh, so they're going to have obviously have a home a home advantage being at home with the, with a the crowd there. We saw how good they were uh, for that Barcelona tie. It's gonna they, you know they're going to have to get <laughs> they're going to have to have some of that real magic once again. Uh, maybe you have to get the the Pope to bless them or something. I don't know, <laughs> uh, but it's 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 going to be very hard to. To repeat what happened last leg or last uh, last round, um, to, it's, is it possible? Yes, uh, but you need to shut down the attack, the direct attack of, of Liverpool. Get them uh, to play kind of they were in the first twenty minutes. It's and it's very possible. Just, you have to watch some Premier League games and see how other teams have done it. Uh, how Man City? Oh, maybe not Man City. That they got Man City's number this year. But watch Mourinho games. Uh, he's done. He's done. Played very well against Liverpool teams. Um, that and you need to get some scoring. Uh, the best thing that happened to Roma in that game was they got two late goals. They got confidence back. Mm-hmm. They they look like a shell of themselves before those two goals. And then when they when they score that first goal, you're like, okay, they got their magic back. And they scored again. You're like, okay, uh, they have a, they have a chance here. So um, yeah, let's see. They're gonna have to do what they did at Barcelona against Barcelona and score early, and then get that confidence, get the crowd behind them, and then anything is possible. Do, do I think that's gonna happen this time? I would love to see it, like you said, but. Uh, I think you know. I think Liverpool have enough in them that they're going to get at least one goal, and that'll be enough. Uh, even if it's a three-one scoreline, uh, that'll be enough for for uh, Liverpool to move on. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think the the magic ends here, unfortunately. But I hope I am wrong, like I was in the, the last time I predicted uh, uh, the second leg of a, of a Roma game. Do you man mark Salah, or do you try to uh, outnumber him zonally? Outnumber him zonally because if you man mark him, you're going to have uh, advantages for Mane and Firmino and whoever's in the attack or why not them whoever's playing. Uh, you have to man mark him zonally and 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 kind of shut him out and put numbers in your favor. Uh, that's the best way to do it because otherwise you're just screaming for more goals against you by other players. 
I just, I've never been a fan of, I, I just, I can't figure out how, I've never been able to figure out how to fit man marking. You know, one guy's chasing another guy religiously all over the park while everybody else is trying to stay in a shape or trying to stay in a, a low block or, you know, or things like that. I think that in the end, that just starts to get confusing, um, you know, as things wear on. So I, I, you know, I would rather try to outnumber him zonally because I don't think that anybody on Roma really have the pace to man mark him anyway. Who, so. I mean, Nyangolan maybe would be the only one, but he, you need him for offense You don't want to, yeah, well. you don't want to take away because he's the kind of guy and he, he showed it, he showed it in the first leg. He can have an influence, he can have yeah. an influence playing behind Jekyll. Um, and, and you're going to need that. So you don't want to take that. too old and too slow. Um, Strutman is too slow. Uh, I don't know who they could put in there. And maybe bring someone off the bench maybe that could do that or I don't know, but I don't see anybody that can, that can, Keep up with you know Salah pace, um, so yeah, man marking is a bit not a good way to go. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So we both think that uh, Roma will put on a brave face here on Wednesday and come up short. Interestingly enough, that was our prediction for the second leg against Barcelona, um, and then hmm. they did the deed. So maybe we're trying to help set the table uh, for our Jalorasi faithful. So you you never you never can tell, but we are looking forward to that game on Wednesday. Uh, and, and to finish up, the other piece of business here, Richard, uh, Empoli have uh, won Serie B. They are in Serie A next season. Um, and they did it, believe it or not, scoring goals. They scored 83 goals in Serie B. They, they found their score. They had to go down to Serie B to find their scoring form. About time, because they, they weren't scoring goals at all last year in Serie A. And, and they were led by um, Francesco Caputo and... Alfredo Donnarumma. Yeah. That's uh, Donnarumma's brother. So, uh, Family yeah, they, lineage. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, those two getting goals. Hopefully, you know, Empoli can keep their pieces together. We saw what happened to Pescado when they had that great season in Serie B and moving up to Serie A, and then all the poachers came and took all their players, yeah. like La Padula and stuff. So hopefully Empoli can keep it together, and then let's see what this team can do going into uh, into Serie A next season. Because if they have they keep these two big strikers, uh, keep, the, keep the core of the team together, Maybe they can give some teams a run for the money. So hopefully they won't be back in Serie B after that, but we'll see. And, and if you're if you're not uh, entertained by Serie A and all of the title races and all of the races going on there, uh, you got a whole lot of fun going on in Serie B right now. Uh, Empoli clinching it, and then that one's done and dusted. But the uh, second automatic place right now being held by Parma uh, on 63 points and uh, uh, just ahead of Palermo. Well, they have the same number of points as Palermo who's in third, 63. But uh, Palermo has a better goal difference, so I think that they break the ties on head-to-head. So Parma yeah. must have the superior head-to-head. They do, okay. Palermo third, Frozenoni fourth. People in Zaghi's Venezia is in fifth. And then Body, good friend Mark Neal, uh, in sixth, uh, clinging for dear life right now for, those, uh, uh, for that uh, promotion playoff uh, as Perugia and Cittadella both hot on body's heels at the moment. Uh, it's pretty much those seven teams. Uh, you know, they're all in. There's four games for everyone to play yet. Uh, they're all in position. They're, they all have a shot at second uh, and getting that automatic spot and taking that away from Parma. And then they're all in position for the playoff play, for the uh, four playoff places as well. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. And I uh, oh, would love to see Parma uh, back oh, to Serie yeah. after Straight all this. Back to Serie That'd be great. So that would be great. That'd be great for the league uh, to have, uh, you know, the '90s pedigree and reminding you of some of the players that played there, where you know where Gigi Buffon got his start before he moved to Juventus. So, um, and then you had Hristo Stoichkov there. You had uh, 
Aspria played there, uh, Colombian forward, right? Yeah, yep. yeah, he did. Hernan Crespo. Uh, the list goes on. There were plenty of great players. Fabio Cannavaro also uh, spent some time there as well. So uh, we could to see an old face back in Serie A. So let's pull for them. <laughs> so and 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 uh, and we'll see who the third team is out of there. I'll pull for Body because uh, I, you know I don't want Mark mad at me. Um, my Sicilian blood would pull for Palermo plus besides, I mean, we, we, we love Palermo. We love picking on him last year and I kind of miss him. Uh, <laughs> I'll go with Inzaghi's Venezia. Okay. Okay. We'll see. Uh, a, a lot of good, uh, a lot of good storylines, uh, you know, m- getting in position to try to get into the top play for next season. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but that's going to put it in. That's going to put a bow, uh, on this edition of the city. I sit down, we got angry, we laughed, we, we did everything, but just, we, we did everything but cry and, um, you look at Milan season, we could, we could certainly cry enough, but, uh, <laughs> let's do a shameless, uh, social media plug and, uh, see if our good friend Richard is up to anything on the writing front. Uh, you can find me anywhere on social media at R underscore K H A R M A N. Uh, I've been lazy, but I would like to give a shout out to Vernus Gruner beer. Uh, very good German beer got me through the podcast today. Not through my writing, unfortunately. So, uh, mm. what about you, Frank? Uh, I'm at FTC underscore 21 and, uh, no idea when I'm doing another culture result. So, um, but, uh, I certainly, uh, will, if I don't do one before, then there will definitely be an end of season one, uh, handing out a few awards, uh, picking out my own personal team of the season and things like that. Of course, here at Syria sit down, we'll have a, a final season squad that if you know it, and, uh, uh, crap on a cracker 11, uh, to see who all made those lists. We'll hand out some podcast awards. Uh, ourselves in that nature so um but uh i will uh you know check me at ftc underscore 21 and be on the lookout if i do put out a tweet saying that a calcio consultant piece is coming up because you never can tell oh quick shout out to Sempre inter podcast um separateinter.com uh they got nominated for the fba international category for the football blogging award so congrats to them um Give your vote to them right now if you get a chance. They're the really only Calcio um, forum that made it uh, through nomination. So, uh, you know, we're all Calcio, so definitely give them a plug as well. Yep, I'll have to uh, jump on there and uh, cast my vote for them as well. So uh, you can go to at Down on Twitter or Instagram with any comments, any questions for future podcasts, any hot takes of your own that uh, uh, you think need our attention. So... Uh, for Richard, I'm Frank. This has been World Football Index's Serie sit-down. We do thank you for listening. And as always, be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.